And now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. Our series in worship this month is Passing the Baton. All month long we're talking about the ways in which the gifts and the ministries and the service of the church get passed down from hand to hand, from generation to generation. Last week we heard a story about a moment when Moses handed off authority and power and leadership to Joshua as the people prepared to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. Today we're going to hear a story about two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, from the book of 2 Kings. Listen now for God's voice as I share these words from 2 Kings, chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. <coughs> then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning I want you to cast your minds back about three months to early August. Back at the beginning of August, the whole world was enjoying the Summer Olympic Games that were, were happening in Tokyo, Japan. I was really looking forward to the Olympics this time around. I always look forward to the Olympics. Now, I understand all the reasons why some people are cynical and some people are down on the Olympics. I understand about the corruption and the doping and the billion-dollar building projects that are only used for a couple of weeks. I get all of the reasons why some people don't get excited about the Olympics, but I always get excited about the Olympics. There is something about watching these young people who have 
poured themselves into reaching the peak of what their bodies and their minds are able to do in competition against each other that is inspiring to me, that is thrilling to me. I always get excited about the Olympics. I was excited about the Olympics this year, and I was not the only one who was really looking forward to these Olympics. The United States men's track and field team were also really looking forward to these Olympics. Because these Olympics were going to be their opportunity to return to the pinnacle of one of the marquee events in all of athletics, the men's four by 100 meter relay race. Now the men's four by 100 meter relay race is a race in which four of the fastest men in the world each run 100 meters, handing a baton from hand to hand for the title of fastest nation on earth. There was a time when the United States men owned this event, when they routinely brought back the gold from every world championship, every Olympics. The United States has produced some of the greatest sprinters in all of human history. Jesse Owens, Carl Lewis, Michael Johnson. There was a time when everybody just knew that the United States men were going to come home with the gold. But it has been more than 20 years since the American men have won this event in Games. The last time they brought home the gold in the 4 by 100 meter relay race was for the final. But this year, the American men, they weren't taking any chances. And so for that preliminary heat, they sent out their A-team, including the world's fastest man, Trayvon Bromel. He was going to lead off the race and give the Americans the lead. They weren't taking any chances. And so the time for that preliminary race came. And all the runners took their place around the track. And then Trayvon Bromel went up to the starting line and that baton was in his hand and he got down and then the pistol went off and he was off. And when it came time to hand the baton to the second runner, the United States men, they were right in the mix. And then the second runner kept them right in the mix and he handed off the baton to the third runner and that is when disaster struck. That third runner, he threw back his hand and he yelled, stick, but instead of the stick, Instead of the baton, he closed his hand over a handful of the previous runner's jersey. The two men were too close together. And so again, he threw his hand back and he yelled, stick, but this time the runner behind him failed to put the baton in his hand, and so he closed his fingers over empty air. And finally, the third runner slowed down so that the two men were standing almost next to each other on the track. The second runner slammed the baton into his hand and he took off running, but by then, it was too late. The United States men were out of it. They finished sixth in their qualifying heat, they didn't even get into the finals, didn't even qualify to run for a medal. And of course, after it was all over, there was finger pointing, and there was soul searching, and there was heartbreak, and over and over again, as people tried to figure out how can it be that the fastest team, how can it be that the fastest men in the world keep failing to bring home a medal in this event. Over and over, the commentators and the experts kept coming up with the same answer. What the American men are lacking is chemistry. They pointed out that other teams from other nations will spend months at a time training together, practicing that baton handoff, working with each other until they have developed the chemistry that it takes to execute that maneuver flawlessly over and over and over again. But the American men, they don't train that way. The American men train as individuals. They spend 
years getting to the peak of the sport, becoming the fastest runners in the world, and then before the Olympic Games, they spend just a few days together, sometimes even just a few hours together, practicing the handoff of the baton so that when they finally end up on the track, in the moment that it matters most, the chemistry is the thing that they are lacking. It doesn't matter. You can have all the speed in the world, but if you don't have chemistry, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a thing. The American men have discovered that over and over and over again, and that's what this morning's scripture reading is about. And today's scripture reading is about the chemistry it takes to actually hand off the baton. In today's scripture reading, we've got a, a story about these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And we're seeing Elijah at the very end of his ministry. Elijah has had an incredible career. Elijah may be the very greatest of all of the Old Testament prophets. And maybe you know a little bit about the story of, of Elijah. Elijah was called to be a prophet at a difficult and painful moment in the story of God's people. There was a wicked king and a wicked queen who decided they weren't going to worship anymore the God who had led God's people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. Instead, they, they, they turned to a strange God, and they encouraged God's people to turn away from God and turn to this new God, this strange God. They built altars and, and temples for this strange God, and many of the people turned away from God who had led them into freedom, and they turned to this new God, this strange God. Before God's people could be lost completely, God called up a prophet. God spoke to this man named Elijah. God said, my people need to hear my voice. And God sent Elijah to confront the king and the queen, to stand up to the prophets of those false gods, to call God's people back to God. And so Elijah did that. Elijah spoke to God's people and he worked miracles. He raised the dead. He called down fire from heaven. He caused a drought to over, overcome the whole of the land. Elijah worked some of the most incredible miracles in all of the Old Testament. But Elijah also found that being a prophet was hard and it was lonely work. And there were times when Elijah was just ready to, to give up. And there was one moment in particular Elijah said, God, I am done. And he went out into the wilderness and curled up in a ball. And he said, Lord, somebody else is going to have to do this work. Just leave me here and let me die. But God wasn't done with Elijah yet. God said, I'm not going to let you die. God cared for Elijah. And then God spoke to Elijah. God said, I want you to go and find this young man named Elisha. Take him as your apprentice. Become his mentor. Let him walk beside you and learn how to do the things that you do, to speak in the way that you speak. And so Elijah went and he found Elisha. And they started walking together. And Elisha walked and watched in awe and wonder as Elijah did these incredible miracles. He watched as Elijah spoke to the people. And eventually, over time, Elisha came to think of the older prophet not just as a mentor, but as a friend. He developed a deep bond of affection for Elijah. But he also knew that the time of Elijah's ministry was coming to an end. He could see that Elijah was ready to, to hang up the mantle. And one day, as the two men were walking along the road together, Elijah turned to him and said, Elisha, stay here. I'm going to go on ahead a little bit. There's something that I've got to do. And, and, and Elisha saw in that moment that something had changed. Somehow he knew what was on Elijah's mind. He knew that Elijah was preparing to leave him, to leave this world, to go to heaven and, and be done with his ministry. And Elisha said, no way. I'm not letting you go on by yourself. I'm going to stick right here beside you. So they walked on a little bit farther. And then again, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. I've just got to go up there a little bit. There's something i got to do. And, and again, Elisha said, uh-uh, I'm going to stay here right beside you. You're not going to leave me behind. And 
One more time, Elijah turns to Elisha and says, stay here, I'm going up to the Jordan River. There's something that I've got to do. And Elisha says, no, I think I'm going to keep walking with you. What is going on in this moment? For thousands of years, people have been reading the story, trying to figure out what is happening. Why is Elijah trying to keep Elisha behind over and over and over again? And people have all sorts of theories about what's happening in that moment. Some people think that maybe Elijah is testing Elisha. Some people think that maybe Elijah wants to spare Elisha the, the pain of a tearful goodbye. I've got my own theories about what's happening in that moment. One of the things that a lot of Bible scholars have noticed as they read the stories of Elijah is that Elijah, at many moments in his life, seems to experience something that today we would call clinical depression. And clinical depression is, is an affliction that can cause deep feelings of loneliness and, and isolation and exhaustion, even, even when you are surrounded by people who care about you, even when you are surrounded by people who love you, you can still feel all alone. And people who are experiencing depression, when their friends say, I love you and I care about you, they have a hard time believing that. Sometimes they think, oh, well, they're just humoring me, but they don't really care about me. And someday I'll discover that they never really did care about me. It can be hard to feel loved. It can be hard to believe in love when you're experiencing depression. And I wonder if maybe, just maybe, Elijah, in this moment, looks at Elisha and doesn't believe that Elisha cares about him. He looks at Elisha and he says, I know that you've just been walking beside me this whole time to help your own career. You've just been walking beside me this whole time to make a name for yourself. But now that my ministry is over, you're going to show your true colors. You're going to walk away because there's nothing more that I have to offer you. I know that you never really cared about me in the first place, so I'm setting you free. Just, just go on and go ahead so I can die in peace, so I can go to God alone. Elisha looks at Elijah and says, no. I'm going to keep on walking beside you, even if you don't believe that I love you, even if you don't believe that I care about you. I am not going to leave your side. I'm going to stay with you until you begin to believe that there is something real about our relationship. Three times Elijah asks Elisha to stay behind. Three times Elisha refuses. And so they go on together. They pass through the parted waters of the Jordan River. They cross over to the other side of the river. And then finally Elijah turns and looks at Elisha. And he can't believe Elisha is still there. Suddenly, in that moment, some part of his heart believes that maybe he has misjudged this relationship. Maybe he has misjudged this young man, and he says, well, you're still here. I can't believe it, but you made it all this way with me, so I'm going to allow you to, to make one request of me. Ask anything you like, and if it's in my power, I will give it to you. And Elisha looks at Elijah and says, all I want is a double portion of your spirit. Back in those days, when a father passed away, all of his possessions were divided among his sons. Every son got a share, except for the oldest son. The oldest son inherited a double portion, a double share. When Elisha looks at Elijah and says, give me a double portion of your spirit, what he is really saying is, consider me your son, because I think of you as a father. And Elijah looks at Elisha and says, okay, if you see me as I am being taken away from you, you stay with me right to the very end. I will consider you my son and you will inherit my spirit. And then a whirlwind comes and takes Elijah up into the heavens. And Elisha stares at Elijah until the very end shouting, Father, Father, until he can't see Elijah anymore. And finally, when he brings his eyes back down, he sees something on the ground. It's Elijah's mantle. Elijah has dropped his mantle, so he picks it up. He goes back to the Jordan River, 
He spins it like a towel. He thwacks it in the water, and the waters are parted, and the baton has been passed. The worst thing that can happen to a church is that we should become like the United States men's relay team. The worst thing that can ever happen to a church is that we spend all of our time individually growing closer to God, growing in our spiritual life, praying in private, worshiping in our pews and leaving without ever saying hello to anybody, without ever learning anybody's name. Individually, we might become spiritual giants working with God one-on-one -on -one like that, but at some point we would begin to see the church itself stumble and falter because we have not built the chemistry it takes to hold a church together. We have not built the chemistry it takes to pass the baton. When does God's spirit flow into a church? When do we experience God's power moving among us? When we build friendships that cross generational lines. When we build friendships that are able to endure even in the face of mental illness. When we build friendships Friendships that last right up until the very end and hold on even when it's hard to hold on to one another. That is when God's spirit flows into the church. That's when the baton gets passed. That's when the world begins to hear God's voice. Let's pray. God, give us chemistry. Fill the spaces between us. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit that we might see you as we grow closer to one another, that the world might hear your voice and be called back to you. All these things we pray in Jesus. Amen.